It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome to the latest installment of the Pipeline Podcast. It is Matt Way by our pinch hitting this week for Tim McMaster. Jonathan Mayo is on the scene for the Arizona Fall League action. So therefore, Jim Callis gets the spotlight all to himself this week. And Jim, we thank you as always for the time. And of course, it is the AFL which is the uh, topic of conversation this week. It celebrates its silver anniversary. That is a little bit hard to believe. And Jimmy wrote that, uh, you know, a lot of excitement for the 2016 Arizona Fall League. And you've covered uh, many of these over the years. So based on, you know, the, the hype and the excitements and the talent on hand, where could this AFL season rank amongst the others when the smoke clears? It's one of the stronger crops I remember in recent years, Matt. Last year, I mean, it was still a good year for the Fall League, but I know just when we're at the Fall Stars game or even talking about, you know, if you one way to measure it, I guess, is top 100 prospects who are in the Fall League, and it just there weren't a whole lot. By the time we got to the Fall Stars game, it was single digits. I think we had 12 at the start of the season. This year, we've got 21 top 100 prospects in the fall league including the best prospect of them all in Yohan Mankata the Red Sox is on the the, the surprise uh, team the, uh, the Saguaros uh, he'll be playing second base and third base for them and just there's even you know the, the pitching seems a little bit stronger than usual we've got five top 100 pitchers which is may not sound like a lot but that is a high number because in general you don't send pitchers to the fall league if they had a full healthy season. You know, most of these guys are on innings count, so if the guy you know, had a full healthy season, you don't usually send him to the fall league for extra work, or his hitters, they may be trying a different position. You, know, you, you can never get too many at-bats, but it's, it's a real strong league from top to bottom. Uh, you know, very exciting, I think, in terms of talent. And Jim, uh, I must admit that uh, myself personally, you know, I've, I've been learning uh, not just this year, but in years past about the, the AFL and the way that uh, you know, everything works in terms of which players go and which players don't. You explained about you know, the, the pitching end of things. If a guy has a full healthy season, you don't, you don't want to overtax his arm by sending him to the AFL. It's different, though, for position players. So kind of break that down for us. Is it a, a matter where a team you know, tells a prospect you are going to the AFL? Can a prospect request to go to the AFL? Is it both? How does this break down? Yeah, the team pretty much tells the prospect. I'm sure prospects have said, look, I'd love to go there, and the team likes that. I, I, I don't think it would go over too well, Matt, if, if your team said, hey, Matt, we'd like you to go to the fall league. And you said, you know what, I'm kind of tired. I'd rather have the fall off. Uh, that would not go too well for your job prospects. But but each team, there's six teams out there, Glendale, Peoria, Salt River, Surprise, Scottsdale, and Mesa. The, the great thing about it, I, I, it's one of my favorite things in baseball because it, it, the, the furthest parks are, are maybe, you know, I don't even think an hour apart. Um, you can easily, you know, a lot of times you have two games in the afternoon, one game in the evening. So if you're out in Arizona, you can go see two games quite easily. Uh, every, you know, there's there's six teams. They have players from five organizations on each of the six teams. Uh, you know, each team, each major league organization will send six to eight players in general out there. There's even taxi squad players who are active on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Um, they're, they're they're bigger rosters. It's not a 25-man roster. There's a lot of relief pitchers, so a lot of guys can get work. 
But essentially, with the, the way the position players work is you actually um, the organizations kind of draft spots. Like, hey, you know, we want we want to take the second base spot. So we have a second base we want to send out there. So they kind of mesh that all around, uh, you know, in terms of who plays what. It's, it's, it's a juggling act for the managers trying to get everybody into games. But like I said, with the taxi squad, uh, that, that helps a little bit. And uh, you play a, I want to say, 32-game regular season that started yesterday. We're recording this on Wednesday. It started Tuesday. It'll run through November 17th. And then the, the winner of each division will meet in a one-game playoff that will be live on MLB Network. Uh, but it's, it's a cool deal. I mean, if, if you go to a game, I, I'm constantly <laughs> – the two things, Matt, I always tell people they need to go see College World Series – Arizona Fall League. Arizona Fall League, you get to see a lot of interesting prospects. You don't have to deal with spring training traffic. It's easy to get in and out of these places. It's easy to get tickets. And you see a lot of talented players. I mean, typical game, you'll probably see five pitchers for each side. You'll get to see some good position players. I love going there. And, you know, and then I'll ramble on here a little bit, Matt. It always amazes me, you know, you're 25 years of the Fall League. This is year 25. There's obviously still players who've been in the Fall League working their way through the minors. But there have been more than 2,500 players who've played in the big leagues who are Fall Leaguers, and including, they don't have an exact step, but it's roughly 60% of every player who's ever set foot in the Fall League has played in the big leagues. So, I mean, that means if you go see on a typical day, you're probably going to see roughly, you know, 30 players play, you know, for two teams in a Fall League game, you know, total. You're probably seeing 18 future big leaguers there. There have been 247 All-Stars, 15 MVPs, 6 Cy Young Award winners, 26 Rookies of the Year. Uh, Derek Jeter, Albert Pujols played there. Those guys are future Hall of Famers. And last year, Matt, the five, uh, the six major awards, the MVPs, the Cy Youngs, and the Rookies of the Year, five of those guys were Fall League veterans. And Jake Arrieta, Chris Bryant, Josh Donaldson, Bryce Harper, Dallas Keuchel, you know, Mike Trout played out there. I mean, you can go see some pretty impressive talent that will probably be in the big leagues within a year or two. So I, I love the Fall League. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Yeah, uh, and that's clear. You know, like you said, that's a huge endorsement uh, for this league and that you have, you know, not just guys that could become fringe major leaguers, but guys that become accomplished major leaguers. And in some cases, like you said, in the case of Jeter and Pujols, uh, surefire future Hall of Famers. So a lot to like there. There's a lot of, you know, uh, talent coming up through the pipeline that is showcased in the Arizona Fall League. And Jim, can you draw a comparison between, you know, we have every summer during All-Star Weekend, the Sirius XM futures game can you look at this as something of a futures league you know just on a slightly smaller scale because you know in the futures game it is the cream of the crop and obviously not every player in the AFL is of that pedigree but it sounds like the majority of them are so again can you look at this as a smaller scale kind of futures game yeah you know Matt I, I've never thought of it that way but uh, that's I think a really interesting way to look at it and, and I do like that parallel yes I mean with the futures game it's U.S. versus world and you have some roster limitations about taking players from every team and no more than two for most teams but for, as you said for the most part you're getting to pick the very best players are in the futures game the, the teams have to prove who goes there too and while you don't necessarily have you know, all of the elite or, or the vast majority of the, the, the elite prospects, obviously you have more depth. You know, like I said, we have 21 top 100 guys there this year. You'll see guys who aren't highly touted prospects become pretty good big leaguers. Who like, you know, I, I think back years ago, Dan Ugly was a guy who nobody really heard of. He had a strong fall league. He gets taken the Rule 5 draft by the Marlins. who need a second baseman. He goes on to have a good career. And you, you, the competition's pretty good, too, because you have a lot of these guys, Matt, 
especially the pitchers, you get a kind of a lot, a lot of middle relief types. Because again, if the starters pitch the full season innings, you're not going to pile that on. But there's a lot of relievers out there either pitching to try to get a spot on their team's 40-man roster, or you know if they're blocked in their organization because the league is is scouted so heavily. They can make a name for themselves and attract the interest of other organizations. So it, it's like I said, I mean, it, it, it's a pretty cool deal out there. I, I know like every time I go out there, there's some days where I'm, I'm torn because there's, there's really good pitching matchups in two places at once, and you can't be in two places at the same time. But I, it, the fall league, it, it's as I said, I think my two favorite things to cover and the two events I recommend to people all the time that I think are, are kind of hidden gems are, are the College World Series and the Arizona Fall League. Yeah, I think I'm ready to hop on the first flight to Arizona when this uh, podcast is over because you've sold me and you've sold a lot of other people that they weren't sold already on the future star power of the Arizona Fall League. And, Jim, one of those guys that uh, is on course to become a future star at the big league level is uh, Yoan Moncada, the Red Sox prospect and the number one consensus prospect across minor league baseball, a big uh, AFL debut for Moncada on uh, Tuesday, three for five, including a home run. Now, as we know, or as most people know, he did get the September call up for the Red Sox. He started out pretty well, showcased uh, all of his, you know, five tools, but then he went into a terrible tailspin. He had strikeouts, I believe, in nine consecutive at-bats. He was buried on the bench and uh, never seen again for the rest of the year. But nonetheless, I would think that, you know, for a guy so young, his first exposure to Major League pitching, this is a blip on the radar and not anything of really big concern for, you know, the Red Sox or their fans. So, Give us your thoughts in general on Moncada's debut in the AFL and his prospects going forward. Yeah, you kind of summed that up. I mean, he he jumped. He'd only played 45 games in Double A. He's only 21 when he made the jump from Double A to the big leagues. And while Andrew Benintendi had some success doing after the Red Sox, Mankata, it was right in the middle of the pennant race. I think at the time they, I don't even think they were leading the division uh, when he got called up. They had a hole at third base. They weren't getting a lot of production, and they turned to him. And he played well for a couple games, and then I think he just tried to do too much at the plate and started chasing everything and striking out too much. And yeah, you know, the fall league's perfect for a guy like him because I don't think he'll make the Red Sox opening day roster next year, but this will help prepare him. He'll still face better pitching than he than he's faced for the most part in his career. Obviously not the same level as major league pitching, but he'll get to face quality pitching to help prepare him for, for taking on a bigger role in Boston next year. Again, this is a guy who's never played in triple A. He only had forty five games in double A, so this experience will help him. Um, you know, tools wise, it's an exciting package, Matt. I mean he gets compared you know, the comparison when he signed, you know, he signed, this is a guy who signed for $31.5 million, and if that wasn't enough, the Red Sox had to pay a matching penalty to Major League Baseball for blowing up their international pool to sign him. So he cost the Red Sox $63 million to sign, and they have no complaints right now. Um, and when they signed him, kind of the operative scouting report on him was Robinson Cano with more speed, as if Robinson Cano enough, well, alone wouldn't be enough. You get Robinson Cano with more speed, and that's really – what he's played like in the minor leagues. I mean, I think you're looking at a guy that once he cuts down the strikeouts, uh, he, he does draw some walks. I mean, I think we're looking at a guy who could hit 275 or better, uh, you know, probably 20 home runs or so, maybe more in a year, depending on, you know, teams don't run as much as they used to, but if, if, if you know, he gets the green light, this guy could steal 40-plus bases in a season. Um, you know, the defense is probably behind the offense a little bit, but he's athletic, he's got arm strength. You know, the, the question, this is another thing the Fall League's great for him, Matt, is 
his primary position is second base. Well, the Red Sox have a pretty good second baseman, Dustin Bedroia, who had another good year. I, you know, it seems like he's never going to slow down. He already pushed Mookie Betts to the outfield. So Mikado's not going to play second base, but you know, he, he got to play a handful of games at third base before he came up to the big leagues, and that was where they tried to put him in. He's got the tools to succeed there, but I would guess, and I haven't, you know, we've only we're only one game in, so we don't know for sure. I, my, I would guess he's going to see some action at third base in the fall league as well. I still think the the Red Sox lineup, the future. Yeah, you know, I still I think that's probably where he squeezes into the lineup initially. Is that he'd be third base, and, and you know, Travis Shaw or Pablo Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez we would maybe split first base and DH. But I think Mankata winds up being the third baseman there because you know that outfield set with Benintendi and Bradley and Betts. It's going to be a real interesting battle at third base in spring training. You brought up the names, you know, Moncada in the mix with a Pablo Sandoval and Travis Shaw. We'll see if uh, Hanley sticks at first base, if he replaces Poppy at DH. A lot, lot of things going on that we can sort out later, but it's going to be a very interesting mix for the Red Sox heading into the 2017 season. And one final point on Moncada, Jim. I remember talking to Tim McMaster when he covered the Futures game last summer, and uh, I remember him <laughs> coming up to me and saying, man, TV does not do this kid justice. He said, when you see him in person, he is an absolute specimen. He, he's just so big, so strong, and so well put together. And is that kind of how you feel? It's like, you know, we see these guys on TV, and yeah, they look impressive, but when you see him in person, it's just, it's really mind-blowing sometimes. Yeah, no, he, he's a specimen. I mean, he's he's built, you know, it's not just that he's he's strong and athletic. He can really, really fly. He 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 put on a show at the at the Futures game, hit a home run, made a nice defensive play, showed off his speed. He's a really, really impressive guy. Yeah, he really is, and he's going to turn some heads in the AFL and hopefully in Boston uh, for years to come. And, Jim, amazingly, we've made it through about 13 minutes of this podcast without mentioning the name of Tim Tebow. It had to come up at some point, and it comes up now. St. Uh, Timothy of Gainesville, as he's known in some parts, of course. The former Heisman Trophy winner, uh, a big reason why the AFL is getting more uh, mainstream coverage than perhaps any other year, save for 1994, when some guy named Jordan was, was also on the scene. We'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, Tebow... Hitless in his uh, AFL debut, had a rough encounter with an outfield wall that the wall won. Uh, your assessments about Mr. Tebow following day one? Well, I mean, I wouldn't read too much into one game. But um, the, the thing I think that, that jumps out, or not that it jumps out, but I think the thing that, that, that the, most, the important part about Tebow being in the Arizona Fall League is I think we're going to get a pretty good read on what is realistic for him to become. Um, you know, you, we talk about him on the podcast, it seems, almost every week. Uh, you know, I have no problem with the Mets signing him. I think it's a low-risk uh, low deal to sign him. He cost him $100,000. They'll probably sell close to that many souvenirs. And I, I think, Matt, he'll wind up at high-class A St. Lucie to start next year or at some point next year. It's a team that the Mets own, and they'll sell a bunch of souvenirs there. And I think his example and his work ethic and having him around younger players, that's all a positive so I don't see a downside. I don't think it's terrible or anything. He's doing that. That said, I don't give him much of a chance to get to the big leagues because I just think if you haven't played baseball for 11 years, it's not like being a pitcher where you might, you know, throw, you know, 95 miles an hour or whatever 
and you know you can work with that and you know turn you turn somebody into a reliever or whatever. For a hitter, that's just too many lost at bats. You know he, he's lost five thousand plus at bats. He you know he, he doesn't have experience. All those at bats, learning to read pitches out of a hand, learning to read spin, learning the strike zone, learning how to manipulate the bat head. You know he, he's very raw defensively. You know you could work on that on those things, but it just I think missing eleven years of at bats is too much to overcome. But I will all that said. And, you know, the fall league, you know, we'll get a much, I think, better indication uh, of what he can do because, you know, unlike in his workout where you had a couple of, of, you know, big league pitchers with big league experience, but kind of on the fringes of the big leagues now, um, and it was unclear. You know, I, I don't know how much of those guys were if they were trying to really bear down and get Tim Tebow out, or or just you know throw him some, you know, some like more difficult batting practice, but. You know, then you go to instructional league where where Tebow was with the Mets for for a few weeks, and he famously homered on the first pitch. Although he he was retired the next five at bats in that game, but instructional league, a nobody really keeps stats there, and b that's a place where you're working on things. You might have a guy throwing you know back to back to back changeups or. You know, they take away a guy's breaking ball to make him work on his other pitches, or, or, or you know, try new grip on a pitch, or, or try new delivery, you know, thing, and you know, because the results there don't matter. So, like, you know, while he famously hit that home run and it got a lot of play, I don't think that really matters either. In the fall league, like I said, and you have a lot of pitchers, relievers trying to earn spots on forty-man rosters or make an impression on other teams if, if their own team they're kind of blocked, and he's going to see some pretty nasty stuff. I mean, you're going to see relievers throwing ninety-five miles an hour. He's going to see better breaking pitches than he's probably seen in his life. You know, the quality competition, I would say, is is probably akin to double-A, you know, maybe somewhere between double-A and triple-A, and I certainly don't think Tim Tebow is ready to step into that level of the minor leagues. After being gone for 11 years, I mean, he, he's an interesting athlete with, with some raw power. I don't know if he'll be able to get to it in games, and, and he, he runs well for his size. But I think that this is the this is what I think is going to be good about the fall league is you know if Tim Tebow can go out there and hold his own, well you know what I'll admit you know I probably have been low on him and he deserves more credit uh, than I've been giving him. Um, and if he goes out there and struggles, I think that and I, I would expect him to do so. Then I think. That would probably, for at least for me, kind of solidify the fact that I, I think the chances of him ever appearing in the big leagues, based on merit, are pretty remote. You know, he might make it up there as a, as a curiosity type of deal. I think Michael Jordan would have, but Michael Jordan wasn't. You know, if it hadn't been for the strike, I think we might have seen Michael Jordan in the big leagues with the White Sox like in, the, in the September of 1995. But you know, I don't think Michael Jordan was a big leaguer on merit. I think the fact that he was able to. You know, I wouldn't even say hold his own, but survive in Double A was pretty impressive. But like, he wasn't a big leaguer, and I think Tebow's kind of kind of in the same boat. But you know, first game, 0 for three, kind of rolled over on a couple ground balls and, and beat a ball into the dirt. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, ran into the wall chasing a ball. Um, you know, the most impressive thing he did, <laughs> and it's like it's like the story Tim Tebow, Matt. It just makes me chuckle. But and I don't mean to make light, but like a, a fan had a seizure after the game, and Tebow went and put a hand on him and prayed for him until paramedics came and were able to help him. And I guess the guy resumed breathing while Tebow did that. So I, I was kind of you know, facetiously joking. Everybody's like, "Oh, he had a bad day." Well, it's like bad day. The guy, you know, helped you know, uh, you know, comfort a guy or or helped a guy overcome a seizure. That's a pretty good day. But it's just like kind of the. The, the the latest miracle of Tim Tebow, I guess. But yeah. uh, he's he's a polarizing guy. 
I, I don't have a problem with him doing this. You know, and the Mets gave him the opportunity. And, and like I said, very long answer, probably longer than you wanted. But uh, I think I really think we'll know a lot more about Tim Tebow when the fall league is done. Yeah, it's it's a make or break proposition here for Tim Tebow. And like you said, you know, he could have gone over 10, 10 strikeouts, but he, he helped, you know, uh, get that guy, you know, back to good health and uh, for whatever he did and, you know, put his hand on the guy and prayed for him. And look, if nothing else, Tim Tebow was a good dude. If he's a good baseball player, that remains to be seen. That's what the AFL is all about. And uh, it is just the tip of the iceberg for what should be a very entertaining 30 game plus season in the AFL. And uh, Jim Callis and Jim, you and your uh, cohort, Jonathan Mayo, going to be there to cover it uh, all throughout. And we'll catch up with you Next week, once again, we thank you for your time on this Wednesday on the Pipeline Podcast. Matt Waymire signing off. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in again next week.